Hello there and welcome back to another Friday night for another episode of Not Your Average Globetrotter. I'm Rafael Di Furia, back at it again to discuss life abroad, living abroad, and everything related. This week, I wanted to do an episode kind of in line with what we've been talking about recently. Lately, I've done some episodes about why not to move to Italy, why to move to Italy, and on that, that train of thought, I was thinking... Why not talk about Europe as a whole? Again, these episodes are not to say, don't do it, it's a bad idea. No, it's just to give a reality of what you might be able to expect when you might be living abroad. But the comment question of the week, if you are thinking about moving to Europe, what are some of your biggest concerns? If you're already living in Europe, what are some things that you might warn people about who are thinking about moving to Europe? Of course, this is all for the questions in the comment section below here on YouTube, if you're watching this on YouTube rather than listening to this as an audio podcast. And if you are listening to this as an audio-only podcast, be sure to come over to YouTube. It's a fun place, great community, <laughs> lots of fun conversations down in the conversations below these videos. But before we get too much deeper into this episode, a huge, huge thank you to those of you who helped to make content like this possible on a monthly basis through rafaeldifuria.com or patreon.com slash rafaeldifuria. Your help to be able to continue with this project is greatly appreciated. Thank you also very much. Anyway, let's get into this episode and roll that intro. And one more thing that I would really like to preface this episode with is that in my 12 plus years abroad, I have spoken to people from the United States, from abroad, from everywhere. And it's just always interesting to me. Coming from an American perspective, there are a lot of people who are interested in leaving America. But even with that said, there are still a lot of people from outside of America who want to go to America. And so the same can be said about Europe as well. There are many people from Europe who want to leave Europe, but there are still many people who want to come to Europe as well. Basically, what I'm trying to say is that just keep it in mind. The grass will always look greener from the other side. But the first thing that I do want to get into to give a little bit of a reality check in regard to maybe a little bit of a misconception about Europe is free healthcare, the wonderful, glorious world of free healthcare. This is something that especially I hear a lot of Americans talking about. Wow, you know, in Europe, they've got free health care. Look at what they're doing. They really have it figured out and blah, blah, blah. But the reality is, and I'll admit that maybe some of the content that I have created hasn't given the full scope of what is involved with this free health care. You do have universal health care available to you. You do have access to national systems. Around the, uh, around the continent, but the thing is, generally speaking, when we're talking about life in the European Union, that you do pay for these, but in other ways. You don't, like in an American hospital, you don't get the single bill at that one time that you have to put your whole life savings into or make a massive amount of debt for yourself on a credit card. The way that it it comes out is that you end up paying for it, but over a longer period of time, regardless of whether you use the system or not. So you don't have an option even to opt out. In Italy, I know there is one way, but the it's a little bit tricky. Anyway, I'm not going to go into it because it's almost impossible for the average person. But basically, 
if you are going to have this free health care, the way that it's actually paid for is in taxes and through social services. So, for example, here in Italy, sales tax, general sales tax on things, 22%. But beyond that 22% sales tax that we have, the VAT, value added tax, uh, depending on the type of job that you have, you may also have personal income taxes that could be high or they could be low, depending on where you are. Some people might be able to pay, for example, 5% on 75% of their income. Maybe other people 10%, maybe other people 15%. Maybe you're going to pay more if you're a high or higher earner, maybe 30. I don't know. This is something to think about. But on top of all of that, you still have your social contributions that you have to make. I know in my own personal case, I pay something like, I want to say somewhere between 31 and 33% for social. So the social contributions cover social services, but this also goes towards your retirement pension. So when we're talking about the system as a whole here in Europe, free medical health care that is so often looked up to isn't exactly free. It comes at a major, major cost that is not optional. But on to my next point, and that is this idea of just going on the adventure, hopping on a jet plane and making your life anew. As for those of you who are very familiar with the content that I make here, you will be familiar with what I've said in the past about how important it is to make sure that you have everything figured out before you even get on the plane, before you even arrive. You want to know how you can legally remain in the country. Do you have the ability to work in that country? Because maybe if you're a student, for example, you can be in the country for a little while, but you might not be able to work. Maybe your visa might allow you, depending on the country and depending on the visa, it might allow you to be able to do some work as long as it doesn't uh, outweigh the amount of hours that you're doing with your studies. So that's another thing to consider is that you can't just simply arrive in this wonderful, beautiful thing. Maybe there are some countries where you could arrive as a tourist and then change things over. But generally speaking, this is not an easy thing to do, especially in Italy. It's actually impossible. You have to organize the visa in your country of origin or at least in your country of residence. And on to my next point. One thing that is really important for people to understand, especially in this day and age when there are so many people who are digital nomads or who are thinking about working remotely, uh, in some of those cases, you will have to build a business or get a tax file in the country that you're in because you won't just be obliged to the taxes in your home country, potentially, depending on how the system is figured out. Like if you're an employee of that company over there and the taxes are taken out and maybe in the country that you're going to, you might have some obligations for taxes there. These are some things to very seriously take into consideration. But even then, if you are considering to make a small business and you are thinking that you may need to hire people, this is something that in Europe, generally speaking, is a very different idea, um, especially once like they become a salaried contracted worker that they are there and they are for the company. There's a lot of protections that come into place. I mean, even I've mentioned this in earlier episodes as well, that 
there is now a culture building, not just in Italy, but in other places as well, because of how difficult it can be for some small business owners. And I'll get into that more in a second, because there's a story I would like to get into, which really, I think, outlines um, some of the issues that, that, that smaller business owners can face. But one thing that you see, for example, in restaurants and so on, unskilled labor, or even in some of the delivery service online, we'll just say for a major online retailer that has a lot of unskilled physical laborers as part of their business that are very important to the logistics aspect of what happens, uh, these individuals, generally speaking, will not be given a full contract. They'll be given a temporary contract, but once they get to a certain point, after a certain period of time, they will get fired and will not have the option to renew that working agreement because for the business, small business or large, they may have a situation on their hands where that person ends up getting a lot of rights and default social benefits because of how long that they've been at that place. We're talking about like two years here, a year and a half, something like that. I forget exactly off the top of my head. But generally speaking, what will happen is that a person will get hired for this temporary period, then they'll get fired, the next person will come in, then they'll get fired, next person comes in, fired, hired, fire, hire, fire, hire. This comes into play based around some European and local labor laws that will depend on what country you're in. But this ends up being for the average worker, something that is problematic, that they can't rely on a job for a certain period of time. Yes, some of these jobs aren't meant to be careers, but in a time where work can be difficult to come by, it's nice to be able to have some work available to you and to be able to rely on something. But if you can't rely on at least something for yourself and or your family, this leads to greater issues. But again, I think this is, it's, it's a symptom of a larger issue. For example, uh, one thing that's often looked at in Europe is about maternity leave. This is actually something that's fantastic for mothers and children who are just having those first few months together and to be able to allow that bond to really be created. I don't need to go into that. But one downside of that, especially for a small business owner, is that they, depending on the country, and I know this, ex, this is not a unique situation, but the story that I'm going to go into, I think, really illustrates an issue that a small business owner may want to keep in mind. Uh, for example, and this, again, is not a unique story. I'm not going to say where this person was, because I've heard about it in a number of countries, maybe slight variations in the story here and there, but a woman opened up a salon. Business was growing great. Her business was growing. It was booming. She needed to hire someone else to cut hair because she had also another place, another chair in her salon that was empty. So she hired a young woman. Everything was going wonderfully. Everything was going fantastic. Then she found out she was pregnant. Everybody was happy, dancing around, joy of life and all that great stuff. And then it came time for her to go on maternity leave. The owner then finds out that she has to continue paying her employee during this time, even though there's no work being done. So to make sure that she can stay ahead of the game and that she can keep up with her client's demands, she hires another woman to come in. Everything's great. 
great working relationship, everything is going fantastically. And then this woman who has come in to replace the other woman who's on maternity leave finds out she's pregnant. It happens. This is the world. <laughs> We're human. <laughs> so she goes on maternity leave. So now this business owner is paying the salary for two individuals, but has nobody working for her. So she hires a third. The replacement for the replacement. Everything's going great. Everything's fantastic. And then the replacement for the replacement finds out that she is also pregnant. It's practically like this place was a, a, a fertility clinic of sorts, but it's a salon. And so she goes on maternity leave. Now this business owner has three employees that they have to continue to pay but not getting the benefit of any services that are being given in return. So she hires a fourth. During this time, she's realizing that she is paying for four employees, but only has one working. And as time goes on, she sees more money going out than coming in. It's a problem. She takes a loan for that so that she can pay her employees. Business closes. She can't support all of these people because in the beginning, realistically, she only could afford maybe to have one or two employees, but to have, and even actually the replacement for the replacement for the replacement ended up also getting pregnant. So she had all of these employees that can't work, that she's paying. So the business closed with, with debt. It was, it's really unfortunate, but this is not unusual maybe to this extent where it's replacement after replacement after replacement gets pregnant but yes it is wonderful for the employee and the child that this is something that exists but for the small business owner the sustainability of it in an extreme situation like that and yes this like i said it's a definitely an extreme situation it's not normal but it can happen. And so, of course, when you're building a business anywhere, you have to consider labor laws and taxation and all of these different things. But in Europe, there's a lot of protections for employees. Even Portugal, for example, just introduced a really interesting and unique law that in companies, I believe, over 11 people, the boss cannot contact their employee after work hours. That's a big deal. That's a very big deal for a small business that if there's an emergency and somebody is in charge of something, you have to consider that. But to move on to the next point, if you think building a business in Europe can be tricky, try building a home. <laughs> Depending on where you are, you may find laws that would not allow you or zoning that wouldn't allow you to actually build something. In most cases, even outside of Europe, it's of course the easiest thing to just buy a place that's already built and already ready to move in. But some people want to build a, their own custom home. There's nothing wrong with that. Hell, I would like to do that myself one day. But generally speaking, even a ruin might be more easy to, to build or to rebuild, I should say. Or if you're moving to some of these places in southern Italy or some of these places that are trying to repopulate the area and you're getting paid or bonuses to be able to build your home or the one euro home, you may have restrictions on 
not just what you have to do with the property, like even the facade outside, you'll have certain design constraints that you have to keep within to make sure that it matches everything else there. Or even maybe sometimes on the inside, you might have certain uh, guidelines that you have to follow. And then even beyond that, in a lot of these projects, you will have only one choice of a contractor to work with for your home. So the ability to reach out in those cases, and I'm specifically in this case talking about these one-year homes could be tricky. This next part, I don't know if it's 100% true. I wouldn't be surprised based on what I know about Switzerland, but I remember in high school. So again, just take this with a grain of salt. My German teacher uh, told us that in Switzerland, and because he, he had looked into this at one point, he wanted to build a home there. And he found out from the local town uh, city council that if he wanted to do so, he would have to build a frame for that building to get it basically all lined up. It would have to stand for, I think, a full year, maybe two years. And also within that time, as long as that that structure did not receive any complaints for anybody who had a view of it, because you can't ruin the landscape, of course. Only then would you be able to start applying and doing all of the other things that you would want to do to actually get started to make your own home. So these are some things that you have to consider. Bureaucracy is not only an Italian specialty. This is something that is also part of Europe. But let's say that you're moving to Europe as a citizen of one of these countries. Maybe you've got citizenship because you were born here, you left as a kid, and now you're coming back. Or maybe you've gotten citizenship by descent from Poland, Italy, or wherever, and you are now wanting to be a functioning member of society, taking part in everything that you can, and it's time to vote. Maybe. We'll get into that maybe in a second. Generally speaking, this is very much Italy-centric again, but this is not uncommon in Europe, that you will vote for the party, not the representative, not the candidate. So, again, this may be that I was talking about. Since I've lived in Italy, like just shy of five years, there's been three different governments but only one election. We only had a say in one of those governments, but even then, the government that was formed was not necessarily what people had voted for. I'll put it this way. So, because of a deadlock situation, one side didn't get enough votes, nobody got enough for a majority, a couple parties came together, and they decided that they would have a... Uh, a prime minister that wasn't from any party, so nonpartisan. They found, at least if I remember correctly, a college professor from Venice to be the prime minister. This guy had not, he kind of came out of nowhere, seemingly. We had never heard of him during the election. So those of us who voted didn't necessarily get who we voted for into the government. Because again, you're voting for the party, not the candidate. So even technically, like I've spoken to politician friends of mine, they've told me that technically speaking, even if the party is running, and you'll have a good idea during the election time, like what, who is probably going to be the most likely candidate that they will put forward for prime minister, 
you'll have that idea. But technically speaking, even after the votes are counted, from what they told me again, that the person could actually be changed out. And this is what happened in a sense. So because there wasn't a majority, the, the party that you voted for, even if they won your guy, so to speak, or woman, wasn't going to be the prime minister. I just think that's very interesting. And then this is not even getting into EU-level politics, where the general average person really has no say in the representation and who those positions are filled by. These are, okay, there is during some elections some influence that your vote will have, but generally speaking, like, the average person, we don't get to vote for who represents us and who is running the union. So this is something to keep in mind, just especially if you're coming from a place where direct elections are a thing and you feel that it's important to you to have that representation that is so important. I mean, this may in, in, some, in some aspects be not that big of a deal, but it's a tricky subject, that's for sure. Another misconception that I would like to get into is about how so many people seem to have one of two ideas, that Europe is either absurdly expensive or ridiculously cheap. And in a sense, both are true. Very rarely do I ever have to say, look at this from the perspective of your own country, like if you're from America. Look at this from the perspective as an American. Say you're looking at New York City. You can find in Manhattan apartments that will go for hundreds of millions of dollars. But if you look in Montana, Idaho, Louisiana, you could probably find a nice piece of property for somewhere in the tens of thousands, if you look far out enough. And the same applies with any other country, and especially Europe as a whole. When we're talking about Europe as a whole, maybe a country like Sweden or Switzerland might have a higher cost of living, generally speaking, than what you might think of in maybe Romania or Serbia. There are some differences there. In some ways, how the United States is 50 different states that are all under one union. In some ways, the EU is like that. There's a lot more separation. Countries are countries. Although EU law does trump national law, although that's a big discussion and debate for a very different episode of Not Your Average Globetrotter. Uh, but if you've been following what's going on in Poland or what has happened there recently, this is a discussion that comes up from time to time. But anyway, so say if you're looking in Zurich, yeah, it's probably going to be much more expensive than what you would find in, say, Zagreb. I mean, a Croatia, yeah. <laughs> the cost of living there isn't quite the same as what you might find in Switzerland. So of course, if you're comparing New York and Montana, you will say that, yes, some of America is expensive to live in and some of it's very cheap to live in. But even within one country, let's say within Italy, you look at the prices of Rome, that's one set of prices. If you look at Rovigo, where I live, this is another set of prices, very, very separate from each other. So you have to keep this in mind that generally speaking, there is no general when it comes to these things. You can only judge 
the cost of living based on the specific location. Yes, you, okay, I'll go back on what I said, and you can make generalizations in some ways about countries when you're comparing one country to another. But within that country, you still have to compare and contrast between these different areas, between big city living and small town life. But the last point that I want to get into that that there's like this misconception again, especially I seem to hear this from Americans that are complaining about the uncultured small town swine, the hicks and country bumpkins that I don't know, man, like I don't get it. It doesn't matter where you are. You'll find people who have different interests in one area and different interests in another. You will find in Europe that there is a lot of interest from some people in the culture, the arts, the history. But then you're going to find people who really don't care. Vroom, vroom, let's go. <laughs> I'll admit, I don't have the patience or the desire to go to an art exhibition. It's not the type of person that I am. I find it extremely boring. Granted, I am a photographer and I do enjoy some fine art photography. But generally speaking, I have no interest in going to these galas and events like that. I much rather be creating and doing. I would rather make something rather than waste time at something like that. But you will find people that have a global interest in certain subjects or maybe what is most important to them because of the situation that they're in, that they only can focus on what's happening locally, what is going on in their life with their community and their family, their friends. I mean, I, I, sometimes it frustrates me hearing this expat snobbery. I hate to call it that, but it really sometimes, I just experience these interactions with other expats that have just such disdain for people from their country, the people that don't know any better. Yeah, there's a point to, uh, to appreciate the finer things in life, but I do see a lot of judgment because it doesn't matter where you go. You could be in the United States, you could be in Italy, you could be in Taiwan, you could be in Korea, you could be in Sweden. You will find those so-called rednecks, hillbillies, and country bumpkins. I like those people. They're cool. <laughs> a lot of fun. <laughs> but really, it, it, you, have to, you have to take everything and look at it. You have, to, you have to consider that there are certain things that are just human. At the end of the day, we live on planet Earth, and at least most of us are human beings. And there are certain norms within our species. Accept it or don't. Up to you. <laughs> And you can choose if that is something that you want to live with or not. If you feel as though it's important to get away from the uncultured swine, then maybe, and again, this is also getting into a subject that I've mentioned a number of times in, in episodes, something that I regularly hear in, in some of the contacts that I receive uh, through private message and emails and so on about, oh, I live in small town USA, and oh, there's this wonderful little village life that I would love to just embrace in Italy, insert name of village here, but where I live now, you know, I, I just can't wait to get away from here because people can be so narrow-minded, you know these people. Like, okay, excuse me, sorry, hold up, wait a minute, let's take a look at this. And I realize I'm being very preachy here, this is just how it's going. 
I fully admit that. But again, if you are coming from small town America, why are you looking at small town Italy if the problems that you are experiencing are inherent to a small town? Maybe there are certain other aspects that you need to look at. Again, I'm getting into another topic that I've said plenty of times. There are certain things that we have to look at inside before thinking that the outer influence will change everything. Because wherever we go, we take ourselves with us. Anyway, I'm going to step off of my soapbox here and thank you all again for coming to check out another episode of Not Your Average Globetrotter on another Friday night. Of course, as always, I'm Rafael Di Furia. Thank you all so much, especially who helped to support this project on a monthly basis through rafaeldifuria.com support or patreon.com slash rafaeldifuria or rafaeldifuria.com slash patreon. Who, for those of you who are helping on that monthly basis, thank you all so very much. Patreon really has made such a huge difference in my ability to be able to continue with this project. Truly thank you all, as well as those of you who bought the shirts, mugs, onesies, and more on rafaeldifuria.com slash N-Y-A-G gear. And like I said before, I'm Rafael Difuria. This has been another episode of Not Your Average Globetrotter. Stay safe and healthy out there, and I'll see you all next time. Later. Later.